here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all Elite Wrestling and the Elite Extended Universe. Uh, I am Aaron Bentley. I was going to just jump right into introducing my friends. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? All right, Aaron. Uh, good to see you, my friend. Um, nothing's up. No banter. Big, big despair day. A lot of ambient despair today, so gonna gonna skip right to the banter and get to the wrestling all right i'm also feeling the despair so this should be a great episode okay we are also joined by mike spears what's up mike hey y'all it's your old pal mike spears <laughs> i i don't know why you're cracking me up today ab that you are uh yeah hey guys how's it going how am i doing i'm tired uh there's a lot of stuff up because it's kobe world week on voices of wrestling so check it out that's my only plug I'm going to be doing for all my articles, of which I've written a lot and spend way too much time on it. So check it out. But other than that, you know, I'm glad to talk about wrestling. This is like the last wrestling that we have to talk about. So, Nate, are you okay now that we've gone through like these two shows in three weeks and now we can go back to just vlogs? Yes, uh, I almost didn't make it. It was very close on the day of Fight for the Fallen. So thank God I toughed it out and uh and now we can move on to talking about things besides wrestling all right well i am also tired i was up late last night after seeing jimmy eat world in the year 2019 real 2003 hours in here i like yeah. it along with third eye blind i don't know what year for I, third eye blind yeah, earlier earlier than jimmy yeah world even. yeah i i learned today that uh stephen jenkins the lead singer of third eye blind is 54 years old Jesus Christ. Blew my mind. Uh, so, uh, so I was looking also at uh, white artists over the age of 45. Oh, sure. Nick, Nick, Nick Hexum, 49 years old. So 311 is basically a 50-year-old band now. Wow. And Britt Daniel from Spoon, 48 years old. But he sort of has an old guy vibe anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're going to go like pop punk, I think uh, I'm pretty certain that Dexter Howland is like in his mid-50s at this point. I'd buy it. I want to be clear. I went to see Jimmy Eat World. Not a big third eye blind guy, but will absolutely accept my love for Jimmy World and share it uh, with our listeners. Oh no, Jimmy World bangs! It, it was a key band in my high school development, along with Dashboard Confessional. So you'll hear no slander of emo pop bands on this side of the podcast. Aaron Taub just popped somewhere for the Dashboard reference. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the spirit of a young person, so I will be seeing twice on Tuesday. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I don't know any of their songs, but I'm still a little jealous. They're all half the age of Nick Hexum. Um, and they just have great, great, all-crafted little pop tunes. Oh, okay. We did have to explain to Joe Lanza today that K-pop is a thing and not a nerd thing. 
that was well, something. Yeah, it's no, popular think, in America. Yeah. yeah, no, BTS is like genuinely mainstream, normie popular. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's what we're going to talk about on the show. No, I'm not going to say that yet. I got to tell you about our Twitter and stuff. Follow us, Twitter at everything AEW. It's a good account. I mean, it's a lot of updates, mostly retweets throughout the week. When the shows come around, we do live tweets. But we're about to enter into a big wrestling desert between now and All Out on August 31. So mainly you're just going to be kept up on the news by following our account. You can also follow our personal accounts. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, that's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the show. These usually come out on Thursday nights, as this one will. But make sure you get it right into your feed as soon as it's ready. You can do that by searching for our independent feed. Just search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or by subscribing to the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and get our show along with all the other shows on the network. Mike, now, is Don Fuji on Kobe World? No, Don Fuji is not on Kobe World. He has not been seen for several months. However, there is a guy who mysteriously moves and is masked but has the same body type as Don Fuji that's on the show. So okay. I, I, I might be a relative or you, you know, I think it could be like a second cousin once removed, to be honest. But it has the certain like air and aura of Don Fuji. So he will be or there'll be some Fuji representation, I feel like, at Kobe World. Representation is so important. <laughs> Very true. Okay. If you are listening to us on iTunes, go do a rating, a five-star rating and review. Talk about how much you enjoy hearing us chat about Don Fuji, about pop punk bands, uh, power pop bands, and whatever the hell else we talk about on this show. Getting to that, here's what we're going to talk about on this show. We're going to review Fight for the Fall, and it just happened on Saturday. We're going to tell you, you know, what we thought about it for what that's worth. We're going to talk about All Out. That's obviously the next show that's being built, too. So we got some notes on that. There's a new match that's announced, and we're going to talk about the road to All Out. We got some stuff about the TV, the AW TV that's coming up in October. We're going to talk about that. And Mike is going to tell us about OWE and their tour of Canada and Germany. We are not going to talk about BTE this week, and that is because we just don't do it on these review shows. There's too much content. It was a pretty good episode, though, so probably worth checking out if you're not a typical viewer. Yes. I actually, I can't say. I didn't watch it. I'm sorry. Okay. Let's start with our Fight for the Fallen review, and we will start, I don't know, I guess it just makes most sense to talk about business up front. I'm not really a big business guy, but we got to talk about it. So, it drew just under 5000 paid. This is according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Not completely sold out because there were several hundred tickets put on sale in the last few days after production kills, and they had about 300 left unsold. But the total in the building was more than the capacity was set up for before releasing production kills. So this was clearly a successful uh, event as far as in the arena business. And you couldn't tell from TV that they had they could have fit 300 more people in there. I mean, it seemed packed. Yeah, and for something that I know I've hammered home, that this was a Duval area show at its heart, having 5,000 people there comes out. It came across really good on the screen, especially considering, you know, the, this show had its issues. This was a growing pain show, but I feel like that it, the arena itself, that, that Daily's Place looked really cool 
for what they were trying to do. We did find out later what Tony Khan's inspiration was. <laughs> and, you know, uh, he, he's got some real, you know, grew up in the 90s vibes about him. So that didn't surprise me. But yeah, no, I feel like that it, it was a, a, by any metric in for like ticket sales, I would consider this a success. I also, they drew, you know, 5,000 or whatever it were, but I think um, they can look at that optimistically because it was 5,000 people that were seemingly pretty invested in the product. Like Joey Janela and Darby Allen and, and B Priestley were some of the people that got the biggest reactions here. It wasn't a bunch of people there to see Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. So I think that bodes kind of well as far as how much penetration you're getting into the wrestling ticket buying audience. Um, but you know, that also the heat of the show and the, you know, crowd getting tired out and everything also meant you sort of had diminishing returns on that throughout the card. There were apparently some Turner executives, major Turner executives in the building, and they came out of it with the idea that it was more impressive than they thought it was going to be based on the reactions of the crowd and how over the talent was to the audience. So that's obviously all good stuff. As it goes for pay-per-views, BR Live. Uh, so Yes, they did pay-per-views, what, two weeks apart. So the Fight TV buys internationally were down, but they charged a little higher price for the charity purposes. And so the gate was basically the same. The revenue was the same. The BR Live numbers were down about 10 to 14% uh, on live viewership. You can attribute some of that decrease, uh, decrease, said that weird, some of that decrease to shows two weeks apart. But also there was... A UFC show, a WWE show, and the Evolve show all right in that weekend, right? So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Uh, but BR Live added 18,000 new subscriptions on the day of the show, and the BR Live people were pretty pleased with that. Uh, according to Dave Meltzer, the BR Live executives were described as pleasantly caught off guard by the success of the last two AEW shows and the uh, pay-per-view numbers from the first show particularly that there has been a significant increase in subscriptions every show. Hey. So, yeah, by all measures, successful so far. Yeah, I mean, for, from both the Turner execs there and then the uh, BR Live side, I mean, seems that Turner Media has been nothing but pleased so far with the preseason. And the uh, number that I thought was kind of interesting about the BR Live statistics, of course, this is from Dave, so who knows how this is interpreted and gets through the uh, – miasma towards him but that they said that the uh, audience was very consistent as from the start of the show to the finish the audience there never varied by more than 500 people or 500 uh active accounts which is kind of insane like usually if like shows you'll have some huge variation like you you'll get people hopping on hopping off especially for like live tv and live sports like that like there's ebbs and flows i mean remember when they used to have like quarterly tv or uh, ratings for raw and nitro like it, you would see like big peaks and big valleys within the same two to three hour show so the fact that they basically stayed at the same number throughout the entire night i think is kind of remarkable and kind of weird to be honest but it shows that the people that that set time to watch the show they weren't flipping over to evolve they weren't flipping over to the ufc show they were they sat there and they were going to watch aew for the entire night and that that's another point for like the fan base, I guess. All right, let's talk about. Let's, we're done with business. Let's talk about our overall thoughts on the show. So get us started, Mike. Just 
generally, what did you think about this show before we get into the matches? Ooh, <laughs> this was the Growing pain show, and that's me being very charitable about it, at least in my opinion. This was a show that had, in comparison to Fighter Fest or Double or Nothing, only had one match that I would call the uh, typical notebook match. There was a lot of stuff on the show that went on too long. There were some production issues. This was kind of like in retrospect after we had, we had an awesome pay-per-view in Double or Nothing and then a solid B show from Fighter Fest. This was really like the one that was like, oh, so this is really is a, a new promotion and there are issues and there is a lot of booking things that I don't necessarily like and a lot of decisions on these matches that I did not necessarily like. In particular, one that I complained about last week that I thought should have been a two-minute match. And instead, I think the official time was, what, 19 minutes and 15 seconds was that, I, I want to say? I thought so, they were approaching – was it a 20-minute time limit? They are definitely minutes. approaching the time limit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, did, they did a one-minute left call. So overall, like, the match that I was hoping for to succeed succeeded to my hopes. But the rest of the show, I kind of went away of going, well – this is a new company, and this was their third show. And they have a lot of stuff that they kind of need to take back to the conference room and talk about before All Out, and especially thinking about what their major programs are going forward because Adam Page ain't ready. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a fair thing to say. I, I, I think if he wins the title, that's going to be a very bad choice. But overall, it was okay. You know, I, I enjoyed this probably a lot more than I would have enjoyed the evolved show with my favorite wrestler of all time on it. So. Yeah. So to set the sort of context for my thoughts on the show, I really decided to go the extra mile for the podcast. I wanted to put myself in the position of a attendee of the show and uh, decided to go out that afternoon and just drink way too much in the very hot sun and practically give myself heat stroke. So um, I was in pretty rare form for the majority of this show. Uh, I I came home and had to take a cold shower before I was in any sort of condition to sit down and watch the show. Um, and uh, I, I had a you know, buddy of mine came over with me uh, from the Ale Fest. And uh, had he not been there, I probably would have passed out uh, right halfway through the first match. Um, but I, I so I was kind of in a daze for a large portion of this. But I thought the I thought there was like a lot of things to pick out that I liked, especially early on. Like there were some points where I was like, oh, I'm glad they addressed that. I'm glad they did that extra detail there. Um, but as the show wore on and the heat came and really that Adam Page match kind of, I think, killed the show, uh, my sort of enjoyment and uh, investment went down from that point forward. Um, uh, as Mike said, the the Kenny and Shima match kind of exceeded my expectations. So that uh, was really what you can... That's, that's the feather in their cap on this show is that match. Uh, but yeah, really, it, it kind of became, I guess the, the word I would use for large portions of this show is meandering. It kind of meandered around. Yeah, I thought this show sucked. thought it was really bad. I hated it. I wanted to stop. I wanted to die. I just wanted it to end, and it never did. It felt like it would never end. And so, now I will say, I mean, we'll talk about each of the matches and we'll get into it more. But I think I, and it sounds like Mike, are probably way lower on this show than the average person. Like most of the people I've heard around 
the internet called this like a solid show, B level. It was fine. Most people thought that. You know, look at the Wrestling Observer newsletter this week. Thumbs up, seventy three percent. Thumbs down, nine percent. In the middle, nineteen percent. I thought this would be like a solidly thumbs in the middle show. Yeah, for the Observer, and it was overwhelmingly thumbs up. So I think I, I'm I'm on the uh, or I'm not in the mainstream on this. I, I think that it's also worth noting that if we're going to talk about like the uh, Observer poll in comparison to how things were at Double or Nothing, where I think it was the highest, he had the highest amount of thumbs up votes ever. Like every that this is in comparison a show that was much worse, and I think that people. Like, you have your preferences, and you could be positive about the show, and there are some positives to take out of the show. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, they, Kenny had a great match with Shima. They basically proved that Shima could be a upper mid-card guy that you can go, like, have a title, like a one-month title build, and he won't, like, he won't sink there. We saw that the tag team division is in a little bit better place because Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus were the most over people in the building. <laughs> So, like, there are things you could take out of this as positives, but it, you just, like, look at this, and especially when you compare it with Fighter Fest, and it makes you kind of think of, okay, there's some things about the booking. There's some people that are portrayed one way on the YouTube streams, one way on the shows, and there's just a lot of things that, in my type A mind, that I like things that are everything makes sense in the end, and, you know, it has satisfying build and conclusion, and everything is well-paced. For a comparison, comparing it to Fighter Fest, which most matches were under 10 minutes, most of these matches were 12 to 15 minutes. So it, it, I, I, I get being charitable, but I don't know how someone can be incredibly positive about the show. I guess that's what that, I'm kind of rambling, but that's kind of why I came away from the show and people's opinions of it. Yeah, I, I, we're probably on the minority. Again, I, there were a lot of things on it to pick out that I liked. Um, and I don't necessarily think it hurt their momentum really going into all out because on the, in the big picture, probably better to have a growing pains show at this point than, uh, you know, uh, on your next big pay-per-view or when you've started TV. Um, but yeah, you know, people that want the promotion to succeed probably liked the show more than us. Uh, people that, you know, have their other preferences and want the show to fail probably hated the show and found a million things they hate about it. Yeah, and I know that, it, so longtime listeners know that this started as an Evolve podcast, and I learned from that, that the listeners almost overwhelmingly, and, I'm, and I've seen that that carries over to this show, almost overwhelmingly want us to be positive about the show. That's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear negative talk. And so it doesn't matter that I came on this show and said that Double or Nothing was the best American pay-per-view of all time. The fact that I have said that this show really sucks, and I'm going to talk about how much I hated most of the matches, we're gonna we'll get some bad feedback about that, right? A lot of people will hate it. People probably turned it off when I said this show sucked and I wanted to die. But it's just like I want to be clear with everyone that I like this promotion so far. I've enjoyed it. I thought Double or Nothing was out of this world, uh, but I can't come on here and say that this was good when it was really bad. So I'm going to be straight, but I'm not going to be like, you know. Uh, morose about it or whatever i'm not gonna be like crazy negative i just like it's what it was I, I think that's fair too i mean if you listen to open the voice gate you've sat you've listened to me sit through some very dreadful shows and if you're not going to be 
if we wanted to be co-opted and be like further like this, like we, we could go on and just wave the flag, but that'd be intellectually dishonest of us for a show that AB and I were like texting back and forth while we were arguing in the, it, on the uh, everything <laughs> AEW account about things that we both liked and absolutely hated and how they kind of conf- conflicted. So I, I mean, it, I think that you should be able to apply criticism to things that you like. So I'm going to criticize when things are negative. I'm going to be um, intellectually dishonest and occasionally adversarial. So since AB has taken the position of he hated the show and it was the worst ever, I'm going to uh, take a position of arguing why things were good when we get to them. Good. I'm glad. I I want to hear the positive things about this show because I missed them. Well, we'll start at the beginning of the show with the buy-in. First out on the screen is Peter Avalon with Leva Bates, and he is getting heavy boos. The crowd is invested in booing this act. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be a great crowd. I was excited about that. And the crowd delivered until, as Nate mentioned earlier, they got killed by the Adam Page Kip Sabian match. Sonny Kiss interrupts uh, Peter Avalon, and he's flanked by Jaguars cheerleaders. The, what is it? The Roar of the Jags. Yep. The Roar of the Jags. That's and, and Jackson DeVille. The mayor of Duval County, Jackson DeVille. Put some respect on his name. <laughs> this was good. Like, this was a, a good little uh, addition to the show to have the, the Jaguars cheerleaders, I thought. Yeah, no. Uh, Sonny's entrance was awesome. Yeah. Um, just immediately uh, makes him distinct, sets him apart, you know, has that extra sort of special effort that makes it feel like a special show. You love to see that. Um also, just the entrance like looked kind of cool, I think. I like how it's sort of modular compared to the other shows. I just had the one tunnel this time, but still had like that chandelier thing going on. I thought that was all pretty cool. But yeah, uh, you know, Peter Avalon uh, does a better job of embodying the heel uh, librarian-ness here. Um, and, just, and then Sonny came out and was like, you know, treated like a big baby face immediately. Uh, my normie friend like liked him immediately and was like, and then I had never seen Sunny Kiss. So when they got into the match, it was like, oh, wow, these are like some cool, fresh spots. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, let me say, here's like something I thought was very positive about the show. It looked really cool. Like, I like the look of it. It reminded me of some of the outdoors WCW pay-per-views, which I know was probably part of the inspiration. And uh, I don't know, from the minute the show started, I was like, oh, this looks fresh and I like it. Yeah, and they did a great job with Sonny having, I mean, there was going to be some Jacksonville Jaguars crossover on this show. I'm surprised there wasn't even more of it. And I, I think that's what he has to be says. Peter Avalon always was a pretty good wrestler. He was solid when he was in PWG in the late part of the aughts. And then now, I guess, I think he mostly just wrestles around LA. It, he He's good, and he makes the librarian gimmick work and he's a serviceable jobber for them to have and sunny kiss was one of the few people on the show that i felt came off like a star that i haven't seen before like he like sunny looked great in this match like this was so there's people who say oh the uh, pre-show the buy-ins are terrible you know to be honest this was a, probably one of the better matches they've had on on a buy-in so i like I, I i came away with this being pretty positive about it and I mean, it gives like Sonny now has a really cool character and it makes me excited to see what kind of entrances he's going to do on a weekly basis. Yeah. And I like they have a act that's a heel act because people hate the idea of it and and hate it on like a meta level rather than hating it for its actions or whatever. But they use it or they used it correctly in this match 
they didn't have him win to double down on the heat and get more heat on this. They used it to have Sonny Kiss shine and beat this act that nobody likes and do a bunch of cool, like fresh little spots in the meantime. So um, yeah, this was like, this was their best opening to a show to this point, I think. I'm not sure that in American wrestling, the, the Sonny Kiss character works on any other uh, big company. Like Sonny Kiss comes out. There is no, there is nothing from the crowd negative toward this guy for being who he is. It's a crowd that's like immediately accepts him as a huge baby face and loves him and pops for his spots. And that was just really cool to me. I enjoyed that personally. And it does say something about AEW, I think, and the culture that they're trying to uh, create and foster that this works so well and works as intended. As Nate said, Sonny Kiss defeated Peter Avalon. After that, we're that's followed by Cody and Dustin being interviewed by Jen Decker, the former uh, Florida State celebrity, uh, Jen uh, Sturger. Yeah, former friend of uh, I'm playing of Lana. 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 I was I was thinking what her real name was, but yeah, Lana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're buddies, uh, and Jen Decker is the backstage interviewer. Noticeably, Alicia Aitout is nowhere to be found, and Cody and Dustin preview their match with the Bucks. Little promos on the Bucks. I thought this was really good. Jen Decker did a great job on the interview. And as people have criticized, Cody and Dustin set up the match for the main show. This was good. Yeah, the um, the one hiccup was they threw to her for the wrong segment. Like they said, oh, we're going to talk to Jen about some other match. And then it was a different video they played. Um, but yeah, no, I thought Jen Decker was a lot better here than she has been in her previous wrestling appearances. She was on like one of those NWA uh, special pay-per-views and was not very good on that. So um, yeah, I think, you know, if she performs at this level, then a capable backstage person to have. Yeah, I thought this was a perfect use of her and as an interview building up the show and building up your main event. But, you know, having two matches in a backstage interview for your pre-show works well. Our next match saw Shoko Nakajima and B Priestley defeat Riho and Britt Baker. And this is where Mike and I will start fighting on this show. I thought this was the best match on the card. I loved it. Uh, B Priestley was one of the most over acts on the show. I'll give you that. When she was, uh, when she came out, I'll just go ahead and go into what I thought about it. Okay. I got it at three and three quarters. Thought it was great. I loved the interactions between B Priestley and Britt Baker. I'm fired up for them to have a singles match. Um, I, I mean, it blew my mind to hear people say, that Shoko Nakajima didn't seem like anything special. I thought she was excellent in the match. I just, I'm going to rant, I'll rant after this about why I'm so mad about the fact that Riho took the fall here. But the action was good. I know that Britt Baker screwed up some things after she apparently was concussed, but lots of good action. When B and Britt started going at each other, the crowd went crazy. And uh, I don't know, it was fun. I had this at two stars flat. I thought that... I give you, B Priestley did come off as one of the few big stars on the show, especially after the uh, Sabian and Page match. But, you know, it's hard for me, like, in retrospect to say I have to start rating on the match because it was very clear on rewatch how badly concussed Britt Baker is. Of course, this is a contact, this is a contact profession. These things happen. It just was one of those things that, in retrospect, I can give it a little bit more of a pass. But, I mean, there's wrestlers who have completed matches with worse things. I mean, I just hope that there is a proper protocol for her going forward 
because it seemed like that it was a pretty terrible concussion. But yeah, I thought that Shoko Nakajima, I think this is where we're really going to come to blows. I felt like that in comparison to like Yuka Sakazaki or Hikaru Shida just did not bring much to the table in comparison to them. And I mean, not to say like the other people who are in the Joshi's six woman tag at double or nothing. I felt like that there were moments where it's like, I get what kind of character she's trying to do and what she's trying to perform, but she just was either a step slow or looked like that the weather got to her because she would looked winded at ports parts of it. Rio was solid as always. I agree with you. Rio never should got the pinfall there. And just kind of after the concussion, I feel like it kind of turned into a mess. And I will say that B did really spike Brit after the concussion with her capture suplex. And that was pretty gnarly looking, but yeah, I, not my least favorite match on the show, but one of my least favorite matches on the show. Yeah, so I'll take the middle ground, I guess, here, since I was going <laughs> to play uh, Aaron's adversary, but now he's saying he loved the match. Um, yeah, I thought this was a pretty good match, uh, but Choco in particular did not really shine to me in it. Um, I, I thought it was kind of remarkable that B got such a big reaction because she's not, like, does not have a lot of exposure in this country. So I'm not really sure what fired the crowd up to see her like, you know, I, I, we don't think like stardom world uh, subscriptions are super high or anything. Um, but she Im- immediately upon tagging in got like a big reaction. Like you said, her uh, stuff with Britt Baker got a big reaction. Like people are anticipating and looking forward to that match. Now that, uh, you know, B kicked her head off, I'm sure it'll be a hotter rematch. Uh, so that's sort of how wrestling works. Um but yeah, the action was pretty good, but in, in retrospect was kind of offset by that concussion being bad. Um, and yeah, I guess I, I understand the difference of opinion on Shoko. Like Aaron likes her a lot because he believes in fake work rate. Whereas, you know, <laughs> I, I'm looking for something more than that. And I don't know. I like when I watch Tokyo Joshi, Tokyo Joshi Pro, she doesn't really stand out that much to me either. Like I like, um, you know, Yuka and Mizuki and Maki. Um, and Miyu and basically all those wrestlers more than I find Shoko particularly interesting. Um, but yeah, just, it did get a little sloppy, kind of broke down, but the crowd was still like with it and still wanting it to succeed. And it really benefited from being on early in the show, I thought. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of a snake bit or a hamstrung match. And that's kind of a theme, uh, of the whole night going forward, but you know, uh, more to grow on. You did really kind of see the difference in uh, stiffness or working level between Brit and the and the Joshi. Like you just see the difference between Japanese women's wrestling and American women's wrestling there. And I'm including B in the Japanese women's wrestling because she's main roster in stardom and her offense is great because she kicks the shit out of people. Yeah, I did like when I saw the kick, like when I saw people uh, posting it on Twitter, I didn't really think there was much to it. I didn't think it was that bad. I feel like I see way worse kicks than that basically every match in uh, Joshi matches. But, I mean, it knocked the shit over, apparently. So I, I mean, it was visibly, like, you could tell that she was looking, trying to figure out which way was up. Like, you could tell it was that. Yeah, kind. literally, which way was, was which well, way. Which direction was which. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think the whole B becoming a star with, no coverage on the uh, YouTube channels, a couple tweets, and like the announcement that she was all elite and her being, I think it's fair to say she was the most over woman on the card. I think that's a fair assessment to say, but she was that. And I don't know if it's something that I think she's maybe done two WrestleMania weekends in the States. 
she did do spend time wrestling in the UK before she latched on to stardom. I, I don't think she's worked any Mania weekend. No, she's not working. This is her US debut. I thought she wrestled in New Orleans. No, I looked it up when she got announced for the promotion. Had not wrestled in the U.S. until this match. Was she supposed to wrestle in New Orleans? No, she was with Will, but presumably had no visa, so she was on no card. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. she was just at his merch table. Yeah, and, and and it's one of the things that I I think that we are some of the stronger B fans around. I don't think that I, I feel like it's dismissing her talents to say that oh people know that her and Will Ospreay are in a relationship and like oh this is his partner. I don't think there was that aspect at all, but. I doubt people even know that. I think I, people probably know that, yeah, but I don't think that, that makes her a bigger. I don't think that baby faces her. People are probably like, <laughs> "Why is she dating Will?" <laughs> I mean, that is a legitimate. I agree. Legitimate concern. Legitimate concern. But yeah, Did no. You mentioned that maybe people just really liked her look. Like she has a strong look. She does have a really strong look and an aesthetic that is different than everyone else in the division. So and she's big. Yeah, I mean, she's taller. I mean, she's probably a, a legit five eight. I would think. She's tall. She's ripped. I mean, she's mm -hmm. got a good look. I definitely think they, they see her reaction here and that she can also, uh, you know, go in between the Western women's wrestling and the Joshi division that they've sort of set up here. And they have to, you know, tag her and say, oh, yeah, we're going to focus on her heavy as long as we can use her. Yeah, she's going to be a strong bridge. And that's something that's good. That, like one of my big issues about the promotion is how are they going to bridge the Joshi side with the rest of the world side? And you have people like Nyla Rose, who's worked a lot in Japan. And then you have people like like B who live full time in Japan now. So you have like these bridges and it's one of those things that I'm still wondering how these, these two groups are going to kind of intermesh as we're going forward. But I guess we're going to get like an, a big instance of that, you know, kind of going forward as well. So it, it's interesting. Like this is like when I, when I talk about booking, I talk, these are kind of the questions that I have. They're not necessarily negative questions in this aspect, but for the most part, this is like a question I have is like, how are they going to further work the Joshi and the rest of the women on the roster together? So the thing I hated was Shoko Nakajima gets the win by rolling up Riho. And, okay, there's a lot going on here politically because you've got Shoko Nakajima, who's the Tokyo Joshi Pro Princess of Princess champion. You've got B Priestley, who's the stardom red belt champion. And then you got Britt Baker, who's clearly going to be well-pushed in this division. But you got Riho, who won the three-way match at Fighter Fest. She got the win... Uh, she pinned Yuka Sakazaki. They started building toward a Riho Yuka Sakazaki feud. I, I, she built, she might have pinned Nyla. Didn't she get a reverse? She got like a last second reversal on a Nyla pin and shocked Nyla. I think that's what happened. Okay, I don't recall. But either way, she won the match, right? And it looked like she was getting a little bit of a push. Then they bring in Nakajima, who's never been on these cards. There's really no indication that she's uh, going to be here long term. What's the point of pinning Riho here? Why do that? I just can't understand it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably politics. Um, it, it was cool to see the two Joshi champions come out with their belts and tag together because that's not happening anywhere else. Um, so that was like neat in and of itself. But yeah, I think it was just like those are those promotions top champions. They can't lose. Uh, and also those promotions maybe don't want them wrestling each other because they're each other's top champions. So the only way to satisfy both those requirements is they have to be on the same team and they have to win. So then it's just a matter of coming down to Brit or Riho. And I guess they decided Brit is who they want to protect at the moment. Um, so yeah, kind of just like by making this match, book yourself into a corner. Right. It's the you book this shit thing, right? It's like, okay, well then put somebody else in the match. 
I don't know. I just, it irritated me. We'll see if it uh, means anything going forward. Afterward, we do get B and Britt going after each other, you know, trying to build that further. I guess props to Britt Baker for being able to carry out that angle after this yeah. match. Yeah, credit to her for that. We do know she suffered a serious concussion in the match. Uh, apparently, she was in the hospital overnight with uh, Aubrey Edwards. Apparently, was uh, took her there and then, you know, was checking in on her through the night. Uh, as we mentioned, she went to the wrong corner for a tag. I mean, that was pretty bad. But, yeah, she was back in the match later, so she seemed to recover. Um, Dave suggests the match should have been stopped or continued without her in it, and I, I, I just don't buy that. It's a wrestling match, like – I don't know. Not for that. I thought it worked out fine the way it did. And uh, I mean, yeah, maybe she doesn't need to take like that move from from B Priestley. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know what she calls that capture suplex, but she basically does a arm trap like through the leg over the shoulder and then does a belly to backside suplex. And it looks brutal. She she literally like spikes people on the mat with it. It's it's a cyclone suplex. No, it's not the ocean cyclone. The ocean cyclone suplex is when they have that's the old is when they have you up on the shoulders and then you do a, a fall backwards as if you're doing a German. That's the cyclone. That's what she did. No. I'm talking about the or one the leg capture suplex. Yeah, the leg capture oh. suplex. Oh. Yeah. She spiked okay. her with that after the words. Yeah, yeah. Her offense is cool. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean like Dave's thing, but getting back to Dave's thing. Listen, if it was obvious that she had her bell rocked and she had a severe enough concussion to have an overnight stay. I'm someone who has suffered a countless amount of concussions because I am not allowed to go out in the outside world and I played very dangerous soccer <laughs> as a child. So I've like been through it, but it's one of those things that you, you, it's hard to apply like a standard like impact testing protocol in the middle of a wrestling match. So if you're going to take her out of it, sure, Riho is going to eat the fall. So you have Riho still eat the fall, but that just completely takes it out of there. And for a show that had enough awkwardness going on, it would completely kill the pace of it. And that's to be a present you, you said. I mean, yes, now we've had two straight shows of people having some form, well, three if you include Dustin's blading, some form of a head injury. So like there is something to be said there that maybe like something needs to be done about how they treat people who look like they suffer head injuries. But I mean, if you, unless you outright call a no contest, you, you can't take her out of the match. Like you can't, you can't give an impact test and then send her back down the ramp for the closing stretch. That's just wild and stupid. So one other note about this match, and then we should probably move on. Um, it was confusing who was the baby face and who was the heel. Cause Riho was like a heel at the end of the last show, but she was like working the most as a baby face in this card. And then like Shoko was working as a heel and like, B's offense, like kind of establisher is there a heel? It was, uh, the crowd was confused, so it kind of made the match seem confusing. Yeah, I agree with that. Obviously, Britt's going to be the baby face in that program with B. So I thought that's kind of what B was trying to build, but you're right. It was confusing to everyone involved. Okay, Sean Spears, MJF, and Sammy Guevara defeated Darby Allen, Jimmy Havoc, and Joey Janela. Uh, what did you all think about another big multi man match? So there was a little Kip Sabian promo before this that I thought was actually pretty good. I mean, I, sorry, I could have added it to notes, but I didn't. Um, sorry, I missed that. Uh, I thought it was pretty good because I hadn't heard him talk before. And it was like, I mean, not that he was like especially good in it or anything, but it just did a good uh, functional job of being like, hey, here's what's at stake for me in this match. Here's why this is important to me. Here's, you know, what I'm going to bring to the table in this match coming up. So it was like a good 
<laughs> functional pro wrestling promo, which is like remarkable in its own way. Anyway, go on. Just tell me what you thought about this match. Oh, um, I, I, I think I liked this. The, the, I, I liked the atmosphere for the entrances was like surprisingly good. Like all these guys got their own separate entrances. The music felt a bit more live on the mix. Um, and a lot of them got like really big reactions from the crowd, which again is like to their credit, the people that came to this show knew the whole roster all the way down. Um, Darby got like a really big pop. Uh, Joey, Joey got like the final entrance and really was presented as like the, Hey, here's the guy to watch. Here's a, you know, star of this match right here. Um, so the atmosphere right from the beginning was really good. And like the four way on the last show, the, I don't know that the action really got up to like a fever pitch where the match was super hot or everything, but there were uh, a fair amount of good character moments that established these guys and set them apart and sort of let us see into what makes this guy tick versus what makes this guy tick. So it was kind of cool to see all that bouncing off each other and, and sort of see the interplay there. Um, that, yeah, that was my, I guess, overall takeaway was, you know, not, not a match I'll remember in six months, but a match that did its job in, um, you know, establishing each guy's sort of position on the roster uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about the finish uh, later also. Yeah, I came away with this pretty positive for what was essentially a bizarrely thrown together six man with one side of people that in theory and through their promotion hate each other. So I thought that like, I like a good spot fest as Aaron makes fun of me for. I enjoy a solid spot fest match. And this was a match that had a lot of people doing some cool shit and looking like badasses. So it was things that I like. And I think that something that like Nate maybe undersold was how much of a star that Joey Janela was when he came out on the entrance, having the entire arena chant for him. And something that also needs to be said is about like this crowd knowing everyone. You see these charity shows sometimes where they just hand out tickets and people show up and have no idea and they sit on their hands. This crowd stayed mostly engaged. So with, with that and the knowledge, like Joey Janela, you know, he got over in defeat at Fighter Fest. At least if you want to just view the AEW uh, prom promotion under its own lens, completely distinct from everything else, he was like the rare case of getting over in defeat, which I don't think it's going to happen in the match happened later tonight. I thought that actually the star of this match was Sammy Guevara just because he had... He, he was kind of the guy thrown in here, and whenever he was in the ring, he made the most of his time there, and he's someone that hasn't had a lot of time in this promotion and is someone that you hope that they would find a good place for him somewhere in the mid-card and build him up. But I thought that he was pretty uh, that was pretty solid in it. The, another thing is they need to pick, like, one person to flip the bird a match because there were so many middle fingers in this <laughs> match. Everyone was just flipping the bird nonstop. It was very rude and not cool. Too like, many, too many people doing the middle finger. Way too many people doing kip ups on this show. I yeah. think there were sixteen hundred kip ups. Yeah, a lot of people wanted to show off the core strength, but yeah, I liked it. I thought this was fun. I, I mean, I know you're going to get into why you hate the finish, Aaron. So I'll, I'll just get out of the way and let you do your second rant of the evening. Yeah, I didn't think the match was very good. It's not that I don't like spot fest. Sometimes that's like the perfect thing. It's just I don't know. It might just be a place where I am in my wrestling fandom that I'm just bored by a lot of the spots. It's like, I've just seen so many spots. I watch too much wrestling. So I've just seen a lot of this shit. So it's like, okay, nothing here was like, oh, that's interesting. Or, you know, not seen that, or I haven't seen that before. Uh, I, I enjoyed that Darby, once the match started, I thought Darby was the most over person in the match. I thought he got some really good reactions. You know, after people complained that, oh, they ruined 
Darby's debut. They wasted his debut by having Spears attack Cody right after the match. Which That was me. Don't use that voice for me. Oh, sorry. Uh, the really smart people who said that, you know, I just, it's clear now that maybe they were just slightly misguided, you know, so that's all. Um, so I was happy about that, but I hate to be the finish complainer. The finish complainer has logged on, but this finish was stupid. It fucking sucked because Darby is made in the last show by going the limit with Cody. Presumably Cody's one of the top guys in this promotion. So it's a big deal for him to be able to push Cody to the limit in a singles match. Now in this match, and I understand all the story machinations, right? Like Sean Spears has his Cody thing. And also now they're clearly going to build a Sean Spears Darby thing. So I appreciate that. I'm happy about it, but he pins Darby without Darby having to take half the shit that he took in the singles match with Cody. So it really brings Darby down a peg. And maybe that's the point. Maybe they want to, they they don't want to position Darby at the top of the card. That's fine. But just why? There's there's ways to further the Spears Cody thing and the Spears Darby thing here without Darby having to take a pinfall. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So I was arguing that you don't need Darby to win yet because he can get over by losing because he gets the shit kicked out of him all the time and just keeps coming back. I should know Darby's exempt from the no kip ups rule because his kip up is extremely quick and he just does it right off a move and it's very cool. I think Sammy should also be exempt from the no kip ups rule because he does a cool one where he like gracefully stands all the way up while he's doing it. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, but yes, the, the, the plot going forward is going to be, Hey, I'm Sean Spears. I beat the guy that Cody couldn't beat. I put a chair over at Cody's head. I'm being built up for all out. So that's going to go forward to my match with all out that I can hold these things over him. So I get that, but it does sort of, it just mud, muddies, muddies the water when you have Riho win on the last show, lose on this show. Darby win on, or not win, but get a moral victory on the last show, lose on this show. You've got Jimmy Havoc right there to take pens. <laughs> you should just pet him. Jimmy Havoc's there. Spears he can. Did, he did do one spot. I, Jimmy Havoc did do one spot in this match where it's like, hey, a spot for Jimmy Havoc. Spears <laughs> can completely destroy Darby in this match. He mm-hmm. can do some crazy spot where Darby has to go through a table or whatever and is just out. Like, I'm fine with that. I just don't like the pinfall. That's that's all I'm complaining about. I, I actually have a way to justify it and will be evidence why I should be their third chair commentator. If this is what was going to happen, they should have said, oh, you see, Darby now has gone through wrestling, t- a 20-minute draw, and then a very fast-paced and impactful six-man tag. And because the accumulation of damage, it was easier for Sean Spears to get the pin, whereas Cody Rhodes was not able to. Oh, so they actually did do that, and I forgot. Oh, they did? Because the commentary was really bad this show. So the commentary actually did point it out, but I did forget about it. Darby had his ribs taped up or his lower abdomen taped up. Marvez pointed it out that was from, I think it was Marvez, pointed out it was from the the previous match and his war with Cody in that match. And then somebody did like like a pretty, you know, rudimentary move to Darby, I think like on a pin, like broke up a pinfall into the double axe handle Mm -hmm. to his midsection. And Darby sold it big and rolled out of the ring. So they were trying to give him that out and say, hey, you know, he had lasting damage from the previous match that was in the match there. But, um, you know, again, kind of doing a little too much to book yourself out of the corner you booked yourself into. That's fair. But it's also worth saying, and we haven't mentioned this yet, commentary this night, not good. 
Not good at all. Marvez needs to go. Bring back Golden Boy. I actually thought it was like fine. I mean, Marvez at least was like louder in the mix and didn't sound like he was scared to be out there. So that was a, an improvement. And I can see how there's room for him to further improve, but does kind of feel like a nepotism thing or something where it's like, you know, my boy can do this. He's going to be out there and he's going to do it. Not sure that he's the best guy for that third seat if they need one. Um, uh, one other, on, on, I liked, there were two points that I liked about uh, this match in pettiness. One, Excalibur just like took a shot at Enzo being the scum of the earth. I like that little petty wrestling thing. That's just fun. And then when Joey did a dive the outside, he said, fuck you, Jim Cornette to the camera. Love that too. I hope that freewheeling spirit of like anything kind of goes can translate to the TV and it doesn't become a super sanitized, you know, uh, uh, sports entertainment kind of thing. I like that they can have a little freedom to just take a shot at some jackass when they want to. I'm not going to disagree with Nate here because I'm on this high of Nate just vaguely agreeing with me about Darby taking the pinfall. And I just want to live in that for a little bit. So I'm just I'm going to stay silent on the other thing. I do want to give a shout out to uh, my wife, SB here, who has become just uncomfortably horny uh, for Darby Allen and cannot help but uh, comment on that every time he comes out. Love to see it. Yeah. I mean, actually, I love to see it. I think this time she said when he walked out, she said more like hottie, Allen. Okay. I mean, he's extremely good looking. And Absolutely. Plus there's like boatloads of charisma on top of that. So what yeah. can you do? But you can't, has she seen the bird feeding picture of him and, and Priscilla? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Might, Not sure. uh, might, might see how that goes, gets over with her. Not sure which way that would go really. Yeah. That, that there's certain ways that that picture can go that I would just, nah. Nah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, just wanted to, you know, I meant to mention it on the last show because it was like during the Cody match, she suddenly <laughs> realized that Darby was hot. And like <laughs> she's seen Darby a lot because, you know, I used to watch a lot of Evolve and whatnot. But she was like, wait a second. Is Darby Allen really hot? And I'm like, yeah, obviously. And uh, she, now she's really leaned into it. He's a hunk. He's a gutter hunk. Definitely a hunk. All right, okay. next, next segment, because I didn't put it in the notes again. They did a, uh, they had showed Jabaley sitting next to Calais Campbell. Oh, yes. Uh, go Canes. Okay. Uh, there's also a uh, feature on the Jacksonville Jaguars YouTube or something of Calais Campbell interviewing Britt Baker and Adam Page. This is one of those things where you see more personality from Adam Page in that than they've, then they managed to communicate with Adam Page on the actual show up to this point. Um, but love Calais. He always had a reputation at Miami of being what, like one of the nicer guys to like non-athletes. Uh, and then they did like a little joke where they kicked Jabali out because he wasn't VIP or something. So it's just funny that like now he's like a recurring character is Jabali. I think we also need to give a shout out to Farrah and Farrah. They were living their truth and having a great time at the show. There was a couple cuts of them where I don't know if it was Chuck or Eddie, but one of them was definitely going hard in the paint and I love it. You you gotta love it and you're a presenting sponsor of a local charity show that you are a Florida institution that you decided just to get hammered and have a good time. Yeah, I think this term has like become cliche, but there's no better term to describe Farrah and Farrah than they were lit. They were just absolutely lit. I'm not even sure I noticed them. Maybe, oh, I didn't, maybe, I, maybe I missed when they were ID'd and I didn't pick up on it. Oh, I, 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 I forgot who was the person who tweeted because I know that a friend, Oren, was at the show, so she didn't do it, but she made comments after the fact. But 
they they cut to them a couple of times like they were prominent whenever the people hit the floor like you saw them during shima and omega oh yeah it was great tremendous one of the, one of the best parts of the show were fair and fair i agree then we saw a little super cut of the road to fight for the fallen's that featured uh, the brandy alley story which we talked about on the last show okay so ultimately brandy Rhodes defeats alley and been a lot of talk about this match. Now we talked about this this match last week, and I kind of suggested that. Well, yeah, I was confused myself. Like, what's going on here with the story? And then I kind of suggested, well, maybe it's you know all going to be a uh, just a thing, and then Brandy's going to actually uh, bring out Awesome Kong here and, and turn heel. And Nate, I hopped on that immediately. Absolutely, that's what's going to happen. And folks, that's what happened. Awesome Kong came out. Brandy played heel and uh, was able to defeat Allie. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I should have seen this a mile away. I'm real dumb, and I have real dumb opinions, so disregard everything. <laughs> well, was, was I, you had, I, I knew if there was going to be a turn, like people wanted to turn in the, the Rhodes Brothers or whatever. This seems like the build they were they were setting up for a turn on this card, uh, but it was still in a confusing way because it seems like they did this build where Brandy was being catty and had a secret set up for Allie at the show, and then it seems like they jettisoned that. Um, but then I guess they just went back to it was the swerve is, is Brandy had awesome Kong come out and be her second, which, you know, served the purpose of distracting Allie during the match uh, and, and helping Brandy get the win. After the match, Brandy and Kong are going after Allie and we get Aja Kong out to make the save. Big surprise here. Yeah. So should say this was not really a good match. This was kind of a bad match. Worst match on the show, in my opinion. It was bad. Yes. Yeah, it was a, this is a Pro Brandy Cup podcast, as I've uh, perhaps stated too many times. But yeah, to, uh, not not a good match, kind of a bad match. Um, you know, not god-awful or anything. But the probably the highlight of this was they really flew Aja Kong to Florida to have her do an appearance in like a challenge for Awesome Kong, which yes. is just as a, as a, <laughs> a, a pro wrestling fact is just something to admire like that that really happened this is up there with when new japan brought in shelton benjamin to do like his one move yeah they flew him to japan to do like i forget even who was involved in the angle but he did one move and then flew back to the united states hey uh so that's a pretty long flight and a couple connections because i'm willing to guess that there's no direct flights from either narita or or (laughs) haneda to jacksonville so i mean that's fair I mean, at the very least, you're flying into Atlanta, and that's still another flight there in Atlanta Airport for someone who's as old as Asha Kong, and you know she's she, she she's taking some damage. Not a very fun thing to do for to be on screen for what ninety seconds, maybe. Hey, maybe buddy, as long as the check clears. Yeah, great use of money. I'm all for it. Let's have Asha Kong just randomly appear on shows and just intimidate people. Let's go. Yeah, better. I mean, this is way better than having a you know, Contron segment where she shows up on a big screen and challenges or whatever. So Aja Kong, cool. younger than Steven Jenkins. Who's Steven Jenkins? The third eye blind guy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't take note back. of his I did not take note of his fucking name. <laughs> but, but to be call fair, back. call back. But to be fair, Aja Kong has been a part of greater wrestling consciousness for over three decades. Third Eye Blind has only been a band that really has existed for five years and is still coasting. She's only 48 years old, Aja Kong. Same age as Britt Daniel. There you go. From Spoon. 
I took note of that, Nate. Well, he's more famous than Stephen <laughs> Jenkins or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's, not a good. That's match. just like objectively untrue. Well, fa- if you're going to talk to people about music, then anyway. <laughs> All right, moving on. Next match, we got you know another match toward the uh, getting the first round by at whatever for the tag team uh, tournament. The pre-nerd tournament. Yes, the pre-tournament tournament. The Dark Order defeated Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus and Angelico and Jack Evans. Uh, Stu Grayson gets the pin on Jungle Boy. And boy, the Dark Order is uh, is not over, even with the AEW crowd. Yeah, this uh, I like this match a lot because this was a very fast-paced PWG-style sprint, and I dig those a whole lot. But the Dark Order... The look's not good. I mean, Stu Grayson still looks kind of like the same that he did like in 2014 when he was stupefied. But Evil Uno's look is so minor league. It He comes across as just like, I know he's supposed to be like some like super villain or something, but he said he, he comes off looking like Dr. Robotnik and that he's an egg with like stick legs. And nah, the nah, Creepers... And the Creepers, uh, I mean, shout out to the Creepers for very transparently cueing us into something for the next match, though. I'll give it credit for that. But Dark Order, that's a go back to the drawing board, find it, take them off TV for a while, try to figure out like a better gimmick for them because in ring, they're fine. And and it's like such a contrast when like the surprise stars of the night were the, the Neo Jungle Assault Nation. I'm never calling him a boy in his dinosaur. It's a terrible name. Great it's name. Neat- Evil Uno is a good look. It's Stu Grayson who has the problem look here. He's like How? weird. He's got, he looks like he has a sweater tied around his waist or something, like he's some prep guy. It he's is, got the bad look. It's Evil like Uno like has the unique giant size that like nobody else in wrestling really has right now, and he like you know does fucking cool moves while he looks like that. So, yeah, my my normie friend was like all about the creepers. He just likes the goofier wrestling shit more, you know, because that's what probably normal people probably have that perception of wrestling being more than like a new Japan presentation or whatever. So seeing it through his eyes, I was like, yeah, you know, I can see how this would work. You know, there's been like weird supernatural groups in wrestling for a long time, but yeah, I think the story of this match was a boy and his dinosaur uh, was like the biggest stars on the show, especially Luchasaurus is like super over for whatever reason. So, you know, people were tweeting about it. You know, that's going to be the team to get behind in the uh, tag tournament uh, starts on TV. Should have called the audible. Had Luchasaurus get the pinfall here. Yeah. I mean, outrageously over. Crazy over. His stuff looked great because he's like six foot five and everyone else is five seven or five <laughs> one. You know, he looks intimidating. And it's a great thing with having Jungle Boy next to him. I mean, the one thing I'll say is we can get. Uh, I, I'm done with ever seeing Marco stunt again. Like after watching the GCW backyard match, I was like, I'm done with the stunts. The stunts, we should just not let them leave Mississippi. Like, like keep them down there. So, so. I like the, uh, the, first of all, all the, all the boy and dinosaur combination double teams that I yeah. hadn't seen because I hadn't seen them work as a tag before. were all like awesome surprises to me. I was like, Oh, Holy shit. That was new. Uh, and that also applies in part to the dark order who have some very cool spots of their own. Um, but yeah, I guess, the gimmick where Jungle Boy is super small as compared to Luchasaurus, but Marco Stunt is still super small as compared to Jungle Boy. Like, I get how that's kind of amusing, but I 
very annoying that Marco Stun just jumped in the match and started doing spots, <laughs> and the ref was like, "Go away!" Like that was that was super annoying. Yeah, there were some issues with the refs this uh, show. Like the refs weren't as uh, well. Like, that was a big deal made about Double or Nothing that the refs were going to have authority. They were going to give some looseness to it, but I mean, there was direct interference in this. Right, match. they were talking about oh, there's a ten second count instead of a right. five second count or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, it's like Marco has an infinite count until he gets two moves off. Maybe it's like those SmackDown versus Raw games where when there, whenever there's interference, you get to do two finishers and then you get kicked out. Maybe yeah, that's what they're going off. And uh, uh, the, the Gueros de Cielo, they were there. Nice to see Jack Evans from the heavens. Each time to see him and realize he's not dead. You know, it's, it's a nice reminder. But Angelico has never gotten... No one has gone as far as Angelico by being someone's tag team partner and once one gif in their career. Angelico, but, get in the bin. Yeah. just no, get they, they looked cool during their entrance. So I'm, And also they had some fun spots of their own. I liked everybody in this match, to be honest. This was... <laughs> probably the second batch match on the show after the Shima match. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, no, they, they, they come out and they have like a different vibe of the, than the other two teams. And Angelico has like his presence in his own way. You, you um, mean his serial killer presence? No, you're He's confusing with Dexter Loomis. <laughs> that's, a, I mean, that's a gimmick. I fully believe that Angelico we we have to be careful about where he's been and what bodies have been found. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, you could have maybe pinned Angelico instead of Jungle Boy, but also, you know, it, it is probably true that you can beat Jungle Boy for a while because people know that it's not going to be his time for a while. So he's fine getting some shine, you know, losing matches until it's time for him to to take off. Speaking of death, the next match, Adam Page defeats Kip Sabian after. Uh, the longest fucking match of my life. Uh, this was so bad. So there was some vague disagreement on the last show of just like how long this match should go, the split of offense. But we all, like, Nate's biggest thing was like, maybe Kip Sabian should get 30% of the offense in the match. Like, just so, just so there's enough back and forth so they can shine and like do their cool moves to each other. Just enough to that right. the crack and be like, oh, these guys can go. Yeah. Nobody on this show said this should be a 50-50 match. For 20 minutes. <laughs> no. For 19 minutes and five seconds. I still think I was right. Two-minute match. You give Kip a drop kick, and then he gets Lariat, and then and then Deadeye. And we were out of here, and you actually make Adam Page look like someone who could be a champion, not someone playing a part. Yeah, this was like the biggest area they needed to succeed on this show was setting Adam Page up for the Chris Jericho title match. And it's the thing they missed the most on because it went on forever. The only juice the match had was when Kip Sabian kissed that guy that was harassing him. That was genuinely awesome. Like that got a big pop from everybody. Like, oh, yeah, he just fucking owned that guy. Um, But other than that, totally meandering. They did a whole story about... Again, Adam Page had like a knee injury, which he previously said was fine, but now is not fine. It turns out he was hiding it. Um, and it just went on forever. Uh, I, you know, uh, Kim Sabian, Kip Sabian seems like he's a guy who has like potential to do some cool things. I, you know, doesn't have like my favorite uh, presence of the guys on the roster. Um, seems like there's potential to grow in that aspect, but the, you know, putting him in a what's supposed to be a blow away main event level match with Adam Page, who, you know, was just getting over in New Japan uh, when he left. 
and is not yet over to the new to BTE slash the elite crowd. Not a good combination for like a hot match. Also didn't help again that it was super hot, obviously out there. It was at this, it was this match where you could look in the crowd and see, oh, 40% of the crowd is literally fanning themselves because they're so hot. Yeah. And there were like only like a couple moments in this match other than like Sabian stealing a smooch that they got over. And that was really when like Kip Sabian hit like really did took like really gross bumps on the ramp that they made sure to let us know that this ramp was built that morning and the wood is not set in place. The wood has not rested yet. And that's just another thing about their commentary being terrible in this show. But it's just, listen, I think the three of us could be in some sort of agreement that Adam Page's best role for him right now and into the future is not to win the match at All Out. Instead, not be the next champion after that and continue this feud. He needs to chase for a while. He needs to go for like a six-month, nine-month, maybe a year stretch where he's just they're they're just constantly building him up. He gets whenever there's a squash match available, give it to Adam Page. Make him look like a star because the one thing that this show really needed to do, as Nate said, was get over Adam Page. And he's it's not just that he's not over. They have him doing this gimmick with the. Uh, with the injured knee, which, okay, that's cool because Pac's eventually going to come in and then you're going to play up the fact that, oh, Pac had this built-in feud there, but he's not great at selling his knee. And it only kind of like is a thing that commentary gets across. It just was, this was an absolute disaster of a match and a presentation. It was 19 minutes, which I know I say have a two-minute match. I think we agree, five minutes, seven minutes. Like there were ways to have this kind of match and have it be effective for Adam Page, so... This was not just like Adam Page not stepping up. This was everyone else letting him down. And I do think Adam Page is actually like a really good wrestler. And I, 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 you know, when the promotion first started, I thought, hey, instead of putting Cody as your top guy, Adam Page should be your top guy because you want to you wanna communicate to the audience. We're not just putting old guys from the WWE on top. These aren't the same people you've seen. We want to have a young, hungry guy as the champion. Um, so I do really like Adam Page. Um, I also liked that Excalibur like tried to get across on commentary that he's woke without saying it. He's like, oh, he's not just some dumb cowboy. He's got some ideas rolling around in their head. And Jim was like, what the fuck? Um, that amused me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I, I'm not going to put all the blame on Adam Page, but it, it's not just a matter of like he needs to be set up with more wins. Like he needs to show more of the personality and fire that drew people to him in the first place. Um, he, like the uh, the the uh, the road to all out episode later, we saw a better promo from him in that than we've seen him do in the rest of this whole promotion to this point. Um, and also, just too big a spot for Kip Sabian right now. The crowd doesn't know who he is. He's like you know uh, a, a worker with potential and has a lot to like there, but is not established at the level where he should be doing twenty minute blowaway matches like near the main event of a pay per view. Um, just that shouldn't be at that level yet. Just like a, a misreading, like need to let him bubble under before he starts getting elevated to the spot, I think. So here's the question, Nate. Is it time to cut bait on Adam Page as a main eventer in this promotion? No, he's got to be a main eventer in due time. Like, has to be. But yeah. So you can't cut bait on him forever. But should he be the first champion? No, I don't think so. Unless he turns everything around uh, between all and out between now and all out somehow. I don't think you can do that when people aren't, you know, glued to all the vlogs like we are. Um, but no, Adam page has all the tools, has the personality, has the cool moves. 
um, just like hasn't hasn't crystallized that into something he can take from place to place to place and do all the time. Like he like he's really this promotion's first homegrown star because he was the first guy that got over on BTE. He was nobody before BTE and became a star on BTE and then went into New Japan and they gave him, uh, you know, a bigger push to the G1 and people could see like what he could do moves wise and shit. Um, but so like, like that's, he has all those tools. I just have not brought it to the table and the, the exposure they've given him in this new promotion so far. Would you find a way to get him out of this match with Chris Jericho? No, because you don't want to goof around with the card at this point. That just makes you look minor league. So, no, you have to do the match. Jericho should win it now. Uh, probably all should have won it anyway. Like, I think I probably said he should have won it, you know, six weeks ago. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then that's fine. You can have Paige regroup, start lower on the card, you know, beat up Jungle Boy or whatever the fuck, beat up Jimmy Havoc. And then when he starts to get some natural momentum again, when we start to see what was sort of missing to this point that, that I think is there, then you can start to build him up again. Maybe by that point, Pac has the title and then you can blow that off and bring that to, to a, to a forefront again. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you cut bait on him. It's just, he should go down defeat. He honestly, like how, how we think that we want to book Darby B all the time where he just gets his ass kicked and keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going until his body just goes out. That's what they should do with his knee, and then he eats a Judas effect. I mean, he's going to have to eat a back elbow to the face. I mean, it's the most devastating move in all of wrestling. Don't don't wish that on him, Mike. That's fucked up, man. This is a human being. Hey, I mean, it's the most brutal move in all of wrestling, and it's and it's been applied by the most brutal man of all of wrestling, as we saw post match here. It comes out post match. Uh, well, it's Jericho. He's in a mask, folks. He looks like he's one of the uh, creepers. Yeah, it was awesome. Fucking because that, that's so funny. Like Chris Jericho as a creeper is just fucking hilarious. Like the, the, the mask that he's borrowed, it's like Bushi and fucking uh, Sin Cara and Pentagon Jr. and all this shit. And then I was a creeper. And but then he's totally legitimizes the whole creeper act. They're stars now. Chris Jericho made the fucking creepers. And he's got like a skin tight, like Under Armour shirt on. A, a real Dexter Loomis uh, TNA era shirt on, you know. And, and he was out in the Dark Order match previous, like when they had the creepers before the show, you had one guy in a skin tight dry fit who was out there in the creepers mask. So there was continuity. I give them credit for that. Hmm. Well, he attacks Adam Page. Uh, you know, destroys him apparently, as we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit later. All right, next match: the Lucha Brothers defeated SCU. This was Kaz and Sky, right? Yes, yes. Right. But Daniels was their manager, right? He was out there, and then he got thrown out, right? right yeah, another referee thing. Pentagon pinned Scorpio Sky. Um, I don't know. This was fine. I'm just we talked about it last time. I'm just I'm over the Lucha Brothers for now. Insanely annoying that Daniels again just started doing fucking moves to the people in the match and they just kicked him out. Like what the whole thing about sports presentation wins and losses, 10 seconds instead of five seconds. But if you have a third guy with your tag team, then they get two moves and then you kick him out. Did it twice on this fucking card. Um, yeah, uh, I think this was probably good. <laughs> um, I don't really, I don't really, I don't really want to see a, I don't really want to see a ladder match either. Like I'm over ladder matches. No. Yeah, I gave this a gentleman's three and haven't thought much about it since. I'm looking at my notes now, and I can't tell you. I'm reading my notes. Like, there was a fun DDT in this match. Don't remember it at all. I just know it had happened. 
And they, they're doing a ladder match because they need to have a ladder match. I mean, it'll probably be the triple A tag team ta- champions up there, you know? So I get yeah. it. The, the one spot I do remember was when Phoenix went to dive on Kaz and Kaz wasn't in position. So Phoenix was visibly pissed off and like looked directly at the camera. Oh God. Yeah. That was, that was, that was in the, the show is snake bit department where just things weren't working and things weren't coming together the way that they might have under better circumstances. Right. And the yeah, crowd no, was I, dead fucking, too. Crowd was dead. Uh, yeah. Like they, they challenged the bucks to a ladder match. Lucha brothers did. Uh, I, that, I don't know, whatever. I, I, yeah, I, I have to say, good on them because Phoenix has a he has a reputation for having a temper on some lucha shows that if you stiff him, he gives it back in triple. So you know this could have really been a snake bit show if he took exception to all of that. Dude, just springboard yourself out of the ring and hit the guy. I mean, it wasn't even like he blew up the spot. It's just that he wasn't right where Phoenix wanted him to be. Calm the fuck down. Very awkward. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, they announced the ladder match. I okay. I get that it's like they've had the two matches. Mm. This is the blow off, so you yeah. got to raise the stakes. But it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like that. I don't know. It, it, it feels feel like, like stakes are being raised. It feels like a WWE series of you know yes. two two fuck finishes on TV. Then you go to a ladder match at the ladder match pay per view. Honestly, this is probably again. I've said this on every show. Just seen too much of the Lucha Brothers, you know, uh, seen too much of the Young Bucks at this point. And I mean, I like both acts, just seen them 30,000 times. So it's not an indictment of them. <laughs> it's almost an indictment of me. Well, it's definitely an indictment of me. Um, <laughs> and it's just seen too many ladder matches. The WWE ruined ladder matches. They ruined cage matches. I don't want to see it. But we know that the Bucks are, you know, obviously Hardy Boys inspired and will break out something crazy for this match. They had some cool ladder matches during that last uh well toward the end of that last indie run where they yeah, did some ladder wars with the briscoes very crazy they're gonna do super insane shit it's gonna get over huge yeah i'm just gonna be like yeah might not know, be just be like i'm I'll, my reaction will be i'm glad you know like kind of was kind of down on kenny leaving new japan just because i had high hopes for new japan's expansion then my reaction is going to be i'm glad there are no more ladder matches in new japan i watch a promotion with no ladder matches uh, the first ladder match was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Mike Elgin in New Japan. Maybe. But it was because Kenny wanted to do it, right? Yeah. No, it was Kenny and Elgin. Kenny and Hiroshi Elgin. got injured. Right, yeah. So. It was supposed to be him and Tanahashi. Tanahashi got injured. It, was it might have been at Hakata Starlanes. I don't think they run Hakata Starlanes anymore. Or they did when they had this match. They... That was like that was like they had a weird travel thing. So it was like a okay. super weird show because they had two Canadians made eventing against each other. Was yeah. it in a ladder match or did I make it that? Was, up? No, it was uh, Omega versus Elgin because Tanahashi got injured and it was to decide the new Intercontinental Champion after Nakamura got signed since Nakamura never lost the championship. Mm. No, that was Kenny won the belt from Tanahashi after Nakamura got signed. Uh, okay. Nakamura like tagged uh, Tanahashi to be his representative basically. And then after Kenny won the belt, it was supposed to build to a ladder match with Tanahashi because he wanted to do the first ladder match in New Japan. But then Tanahashi got injured, so they plugged in Elgin, is what happened. Okay, that's fair. And it might have been Hakata Starlanes, so somebody let me know on Twitter, I guess. Speaking of Kenny Omega, my friends, he was in the next match. He defeated Shima with the one-winged angel. I think it's only right uh, to shoot this over to Mike to tell us what he thought about it. Yeah, this match ruled. I... Uh... 
this was my favorite match of the show. It, I went four and a half stars on it. This was, I know I've kind of was showing hesitance both in, on the show and then on the written preview for Voices of Wrestling about this match because Shimo, as I've said plenty of times, doesn't really have the great singles match. He's just someone that his single matches are not great things. They're they're kind of meandering. There's a lot of weird submissions that don't really make sense, and it's just usually not good. He's good when he gets plugged into other people's matches. And I'd argue that this was incredibly an Omega match. It was like, okay, you do the Meteora. We're going to do it so many times that it's going to look like that you're just trying to destroy my neck and brain by the end of it. And that's what they did for 22 minutes. I mean, what's there not to love? I mean, we got to see Eddie and Chuck again as Shima did a uh, did a Meteora to the ring, to the timekeeper station, which was brutal. He did one off the stage. And, you know, I felt like that this was a really good match and both getting Kenny his first win in the promotion, the first singles win in the promotion. I mean, and, it, and they've made a big deal of like, oh, Shima could go 2-0 and here. And with a win over Omega, he might be next up for a title shot. So on a show where I have a lot of complaints about commentary, they did do a good job of getting that over. And, you know, as I said earlier, they did a great job of now having Shima as someone that he leads this Stronghearts unit. But at the same time, he's enough of a singles threat that you could have him slotted in as a upper mid Carter and you could have him do a build to a title shot. And at least in my opinion, it wouldn't look completely out of place. But yeah, I loved it. And they managed to get the crowd back in because Kenny was Kenny wanted to make sure that he was going to ha- get hit with the Meteor as many times as possible and in weird and inventive ways. So yeah, I loved it. Yeah, uh, really exceeded my expectations because I was kind of worried about, um, you know, Shima and like a blow away match on this level with a crowd that would probably be largely unfamiliar to him. Really, the success of this match, you can uh, chalk up the two things, I think. All the Meteora spots were super awesome. You know Kenny's going to go outside the ring at some point, but like doing the weird, you know, balcony little thing they had and doing a Meteora off that and onto the timekeeper station. That was all like inventive and fun and, and added to the story of the match with all the Meteoras. But really, this match succeeded like on the stardom and the overness of Kenny Omega because you had a super overheated crowd that had pretty much died with the Adam Page match. And Kenny started up doing his slow, like New Japan main event style where we're going to build this match up from the beginning and, you know, uh, build for 15 minutes and then get into the super hot stuff before the finish. And the crowd followed him along with it the whole way through. They like came back alive for this match. Uh, It was so in, in that regard, like, I thought it could be a disaster at the beginning. I thought this could be Kenny Omega versus Yoshihashi in Chicago too, um, but it wasn't that at all. It ended up being pretty awesome, uh, and you know he wins with his move in the middle. I'm going to go with the contrarian take on this match. I see Mike starting to breathe heavily as I start with this. So I can't. This is my this is my second favorite match on the show. Just to be clear, start there. But I would have it at like three and a quarter. And here's why. So I can't deny that the closing stretch, the last half of this match was a lot of fun. It was awesome. A lot of great action, a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed, but it was the kind of match that I just hate. That is so prevalent in wrestling right now, which is let's do the first half of this match built around Kenny attacking Shima's knees and commentary plays that up. Oh God, he's, He's had these surgeries on his knee, or maybe that was Mike Spears who was building that up. No, I, I, I did a better job of building this up on my Twitter account. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Maybe that's what I was reading. So he's had surgery on these knees. He's taken a million bumps on these knees, blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly, it's it's like nobody ever touched his knees. He did 5,000 meteoras, as we just talked about. And it was just like over and over and over. And I, like, I could set that aside enough to enjoy it because it was fun. Like there was a lot of cool moves and that was fun. But it stopped the match for me from being able to like go up to the level where Mike had it because it's just hard for me personally. And this is a totally personal thing about how I watch wrestling. Hard for me to suspend that disbelief and put that aside when the first half of the match was built around it. No, that's fair. And as someone who's seen, I, I would argue, 75 to 80% of all Talvai Shima matches ever, he is not a very... A, a lot of like Shima's style is you need to turn your brain off because he's someone that literally used to do a frog splash as his finish, blew his knees out, never really got them fixed, and instead decided in this match, when he's in his 40s, to completely just lay on his knees seven times, eight times in the match. So I understand that. I mean, and that is something that I think that Kenny also has a tendency to do as well. And having two people who have match styles that have a lot of just noodling around, for lack of a better word, is just, uh, it's tiresome. So, like, I totally understand this, but as I've seen a lot of people's different ratings, my rating was right, and yours is you being a cranky person. So, it's okay. It is. I, will, I, I will say, I mean, Aaron's not wrong. I, that Shimo lost excuses a lot of that for me. It's like, that work isn't really wasted because he got his knees hurt. He did a bunch of moves with his knees and it didn't end up working out for him. He ended up losing maybe because of that. That kind of gives me that excuse in my mind when I think about it. But yeah, this was, uh, if not for this match, the show would have been, um, I mean, I, I know I said I was going to be positive about everything, but it would have been pretty rough at this point. Yeah, it's just particularly a pet peeve of mine right now because you got Kenny, you got Okada, you got Miyahara who all kind of work that way of where you just have to forget what happened in the first half of the match uh, to enjoy the rest of the match. But that's okay. Jericho comes back out. He's cutting a promo on Adam Page. He's not in the dry fit anymore. Well, he might have still had it on, but he's got the leather jacket over top. And when this started, so he's talking about how he's really running down Adam Page. Like, really? I'm supposed to take seriously this guy who won the Battle Royal? Oh, no. Was I going to have to face the guy with no legs? At uh, That's a great up? point, Chris. I'm glad he lampshaded that because that's stupid that the guy who won the Battle Royal is in the title match. Yes. But when it started, my initial thought was, they're pulling Adam Page out of this match. He's about to run down how ridiculous. This like, I thought maybe they had decided we got to go in a different direction. But he quickly kind of pivoted and it was fine. But yes, you're right. I was glad that he kind of, uh, you, yes, I'll stick with lampshaded. That's good. Lampshaded that, said like, hey, this didn't really make sense. But then he just starts going at Adam Page, tries to draw some heel heat, like some cheap heel heat. As Dave talked about in The Observer, I don't know that I picked up on this, but I can go with it, was that Jericho is so over to this fan base just from being a WWE guy that it's tough for him to get a lot of heat. And so the crowd didn't really want to boo him, and he was trying to pull that out cheaply, and I'm not sure how much it worked. I think it's a testament to him that he gets as much heel heat as he does because, you know, 99% of the other guys that have been established in the WWE and genuine stars, you know, the few stars that they have at that level for so long would never be able to be heels again. And he's, you know, done it multiple times over where he's returned to become a heel and actually gotten heel reactions again. So he's still doing it at that point, and to this level is – a testament to him. 
there were um you know you're always going to find people that are just big chris jericho fans and have been their whole life and are always going to show up and like you know when he insults them they're going to be thrilled by that and they're going to cheer for it like that's inevitable in wrestling especially now so the fact that he gets booed at all and it did it comes across more i think even in bte when they have like a handheld camera there for this segment uh largely booze which is kind of remarkable and i should also say also kind of happens in japan when he shows up at new japan like people chant y2j when he's obviously trying to be like a, a sinister heel so it's kind of remarkable yeah although he seemed to have some success with this with this last angle of getting some genuine heat uh, in yeah. japan yeah and now he can lean on that and be like that's what i was trying to do yeah <laughs> real heat for once how about that motherfuckers that, that was real heat uh, adam page comes out there's a brawl. Page uh, mostly gets his heat back here. And so, you know, we continue that build on into All Out. It's just, we'll talk about that more as we approach, but n- not a match I don't think anyone is fired up for at this point. <laughs> I just, uh, first off, Chris Jericho really had some uh, dad getting mad at his eight-year-old daughter's soccer match energy going on during this segment, which I, which I kind of enjoy, especially in the pull-apart brawl where the locker room came out and it was real kind of showing like where people are in the food chain there where I was like, why is Joey Janela out here breaking up a fight? Joey Janela, if anything would be like trying to stage dive, jump into this fight and start it again. So like there, there was, there, there was that with this. I mean, it just was at this point of the show. I mean, it was getting close to four full hours of, of a show and having this kind of thing as like their big go home angle with this to build up this, this crowning match. I mean, if anything, it only further cemented my idea that I felt like that Jericho has to win. So that was my big thing coming out of that. I just thought about Jericho saying happy championship, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) No, he he loves that. He can swear now. It's great. He also, (laughs) it was very funny to hear Chris Jericho talk about Brandon Cutler in this promo. Like, Oh wow. That's weird. Like Chris Jericho, you know, hall of famer, uh, you know, all time most popular guy or one of the most popular guys in American wrestling. It's like Brandon Cutler. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Um, I will say, and this also goes to the road to all out. Uh, Adam Page is helped by his giant uh, wound and black eye. That does help him look like more of a badass. So that's working for him. All right. The main event, the Young Bucks defeated Cody and Dustin Rhodes in a match that can only be described as interminable. Uh, it was like 31 minutes, right? Or yeah, it was 31 minutes, 25 seconds. And, and bizarrely, Cody takes the pinfall. Mm-hmm. I'll just continue this gimmick since I've already done it twice in this match or in this podcast. But yeah, Cody takes the pinfall when you get Dustin right there, who's on the heels of retirement or not on the heels, but staring retirement in the- on the toes of retirement. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I pulled a real, a real Mike Spears there. <laughs> hey. We, we, we're now a, we're now partway through hour two, and I haven't said something dumb yet. So thanks for breaking the streak, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I just used an idiom wrong. I didn't yeah. say the wrong idiom. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I probably would was the one out of the two out of the three of us that was most positive about this match, mainly because I see what they were trying to do, and it was not executed well. It went on way too long on a show that was already getting way too long and we'll get into the post-match thing after this but they were clearly trying to do boing boing the 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 best way to linking triple a and aew is their love of boing but (laughs) the big thing about this match to me was 
This is happening in Jacksonville, which is in Florida, of course, but it's also a part of what used to be the Graham Territory. Now you're really showing us how smart you are, Mike. I, hey, I, hey, I had a placemat as I was a kid that had the <laughs> all the states and capitals on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I knew where Florida was. But so this was in the territory that their dad first became a big star. Like, yes, he did some Japan and he did Amarillo, but really his crowning achievement was becoming a huge star in championship wrestling from Florida. And a big thing about this area or that area and and like the general area in the seventies in the late seventies was the tag match, the big tag match, because that's what the Southeast was known for up until Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and Harley race were really became stars that came through there. It was a tag team area. So they try to have themselves like what kind of tag team match you would have at whatever, wherever Mike Graham or sorry, Eddie Graham, Eddie Graham would hold shows in Jacksonville, Florida. Eddie Every, sorry. sorry. Eddie Farah. Eddie Farah. No, I'm talking about the uh, Booker of. No, yeah. I'm... Okay. You're throwing me off, right? As I'm getting good about this. They, they basically <laughs> did the, the kind of Southern style tag match here. But the problem was, is we were in hour four of this, and people have been out in the crowd outside in Jacksonville when it was 85 degree heat, 85% humidity for four hours. And it just was not a good time to have a match like this. And, you know, if you're going to have a match like this, you need to have your heat segments right. And the heat segments did not make a lot of sense here with, with the idea that the, the roads were working the baby face during this entire match instead of them getting their comeuppance and trying to attack down the, uh, the, the Bucks. It just was a weird match. And I get what they were going for, and, I'm, and I think it was cool for them for going for it, but I just, it just didn't succeed. I agree with you on the heat segments. I just want to say that the people who say that this match sucked because it had two heat segments are very dumb. Like there are a billion matches, a billion tag matches with two heat segments. Some with three. Yeah. I mean, I just can't understand that take. So (laughs) I hated this match, but that wasn't why. Yeah. So I have to say I've, I've been pretty impressed with how much I've been able to contribute to the review so far, given that I was like barely lucid for most of this show. Um, this was the point at which I could no longer go go on. My friend left, and I immediately passed out. Haven't seen the match. Nate does not watch uh, non-live wrestling, so no old wrestling. <laughs> All right. Well, good. We can just slide past that post match. So the Bucks are cutting a promo, and they're basically trying to like tie all this up in a bow and be like, "Hey, uh, we know we said these things about the Rhodeses leading up to this, but you're one of the best teams we've ever faced." You know, just trying to babyface everybody again. Well, they're in the middle of this promo, and suddenly some music comes on, and everybody's like, no, 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 cut the music. But the music does not get cut, my friend. <laughs> and instead, here comes Shad Khan with a big fat check, along with, you know, several other roster members, including Luchasaurus, smartly. Make sure to have Luchasaurus in there. Yes. And uh, Shad comes out with a check for the... VAAC, the the local uh, gun victims violence charity, for $150,000. It looks ridiculous because he's like a billionaire. Yeah. Sitting there with this $150,000 check. So, yeah, didn't slept through this. Um, Way less than he gave to Trump's inauguration. (laughs) Just for the record. I mean, it's going to, you know, that's these are facts. Mm -hmm. The thing that made it even more awkward was it wasn't just like that there was like a theme music being played that was like just like a generic like you know fanfare it was kenny omega's theme that played it was kenny like coming out and 
that is not a theme that I really think that should be played for a big touching moment where you hand over a big oversized check for $150,000. I don't need to hear about a warrior's cry and then just like interminable bad guitar for that. But it just was weird. Uh, I did like that our main man Shad Khan, our, our problematic friend Shad Khan, had a uh, nightmare family zip up, like quarter zip. I thought that was kind of kind of fresh. But yeah, it just was like, this was like a big example of an issue about the show having growing pains because it's known because of what happened last month with him getting staples and their photos. Cody is the one who's timing out the matches. He is the one that is like, okay, you hit your time, time to go home, have talking to the earpiece. And whoever was timing when he was out there did them dirty because the whole entire segment was was cut short because they thought that they were running out of time when apparently that was only supposed to be seen to the local crowd in Jacksonville and what I assume to be also on local news. So great job, whoever it was, to take over timing the match because you really did them dirty and made this came off really minor league. This part was also weird because so they gave $150,000 and they made a big point out of that several people kicked in some of their own. Kenny Omega kicked in 10 grand, blah, 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 something else. Alex Bailey kicked in five. Right. But that was really weird because the day before, uh, Jim Ross did a show with Conrad, I guess. Hey, hey. And he said at that show that it was a $300,000 house and all of it was going to charity. So where did the other, so there was only $110,000 from the gate that went to this 150. So where did the other $190,000 go? I guess it's, that was the, maybe that was the gross house and it's 110 less expenses for the production and shit. That's that's what I would assume. Maybe just Jim, Jim didn't convey that it was, you know, profits from the, from the house would be going to charity. Right. I, I would guess that is. I didn't, um, you know, I guess $10,000, like that's nothing to sneeze at. So that's real top baby face shit from Kenny Omega, I guess. I think that makes Jabali your second top baby face now. So looking forward to the big Jabali push. And is the top heel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair, until, fair. until he exceeds the Trump donation that he's still a heel. Yeah. Once he's given, you know, 10 more of these, then. Yeah. No, fair and fair. As presenting sponsor, it gave 25000 So. The true baby faces. The true baby faces. Fair and fair. Chuck and Eddie. Well, that is their shirt. We That's... need an AEW fair and fair shirt. Let's go. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention it. Someone made a really good tweet about the fact that I think it was Oaken that 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 Omega was wearing his green razor tights that looked like the logo of Fair and Farah. That's right, in his Fair and Farah colors. And Fair and Farah, since I mean I haven't checked this, but since they're Florida personal injury attorneys, I feel confident they didn't give a bunch of money to Trump. They are, they are almost certainly big uh, Democratic donors, for what that's worth. Okay, Cody cuts a little promo, says you can't counter-program AEW. Again, so there was a lot of talk about this, but as Mike said a second ago, they thought they were not on the air when he was given this promo. This was intended for the live crowd, which I think plays a lot different than it does to uh, the internet audience, which I don't mind it. I mean, I was kind of like, oh, all right, here we go. Maybe say this if you have a better show. If your show's 30% better, then maybe say, you know, fuck you, Evolve. <laughs> but Yeah. And then uh, Kenny's about to close out the show, and <laughs> Matt leans over to him and whispers something to him, which is clearly, like, don't do the gun thing. You know, you can't do the gun thing at this show. And Kenny audibly says, yeah, I know. 
and then he tries to come up with something on the, on the spot there, and he comes up with uh, Boing, is, is what he's going to say to close the show. Yeah, and they now have a t-shirt out about it. Oh, dude, that's a good yeah. hustle. It's yeah. uh, it's not a good t-shirt, but... Uh, they don't I, have any good t-shirts, so... They do, I mean, comparatively, I mean, you know, compared to the competition, they have yeah. incredible t-shirts. There's still no Stronghearts t-shirts, so I'm still disappointed. Yeah, the, the Boy and His Dinosaur one is like, you know, as far as a cartoony pro wrestling shirt, probably intended for younger people than us, pretty cute shirt, so I mean... I yeah. guess I should just say they don't have any shirts I would I would wear. Sure. Well, they don't okay. have Jason Isbell on them, so it's Isbell first of all. My bad, sorry, Jason. That's right. He's definitely a listener. Big AEW fan. Okay. Anything else you guys want to say about Fight for the Fallen? Uh, no. I I took another shower after I woke up, and then probably was not recovered from my heat stroke drinking session until like eleven a.m. the next day. So. I want everyone, please uh, thank me for the great personal trial and tribulation I went through to watch this show. You would probably like a lot of like old Isabel stuff. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> 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 done. Yeah, no, nah, that was a mistake on my part. <laughs> all right, all out. We're going to talk about all out. Road to all out number one. I hope everybody's excited. The show is on the fucking AEW YouTube channel. No more splitting up the road twos. So I hope everyone's happy. I think they still need to do something about being the elite, but for now, it's a no, step. I think you want that you want that segregated from road to all out. You want if people want to go find that, then you should be able to go find that. You don't necessarily want that infecting what should be your major league uh, you know, quality content. Yeah, I think it's mostly gonna go away. I think it's gonna be like much less once TV starts. All right, it starts with a video montage from Fight for the Fallen, and then we get Tony Schiavone in the AEW Control Center. I just, I love this. Owns, this owns so yeah, much. Really, ML, MLW apparently was real mad about this as well oh, because sure. he's under their contract, but he doesn't work all the time for MLW. He does stuff for the Georgia Bulldogs, so and also the Braves. Like this is the uh, Gwinnett Braves season, and he is their uh, radio announcer. So it's he's, easier. For Sorry, MLW contracts are fake, as we all know. Yeah, I mean they're totally fake. MLW is a fake company at this point. Yeah, but uh, so it's easy for him to do these things in the Metro Atlanta area, and it was so good right. to see him in a. You know, it didn't have the charm of the old like centers that you would see back in the day, but it was up there. It had a pretty good amount of charm. Yeah, it felt like a. I mean, it felt it felt like uh, sorry. It had a. It had as much less charm as everything has less charm now because it's all like green screened and digital and doesn't, you know, look like a, a, a real thing that's happening, but they faked it pretty well. Right. It wasn't Sean Mooney standing in front of all the old, you know, screens and stuff, but it was cool. All right. Tony Schiavone intros, some um, Adam page, Kip Sabian headlock highlights and, uh, you know, tries to put the match over. Headlocks, yeah. <laughs> Most of the highlights. <laughs> yeah. uh, shows some of the Jericho and Page interactions. And then we get a little hangman feature. His eye is fucked up from the Judas effect. Most importantly, ban the Judas effect. He says he doesn't usually like looking at himself in the mirror. I thought this was strange because he seems like such a sweet woke boy. And he's like, I've done some bad things. <laughs> it's very funny. Anyway, he says, but he's thankful to Jericho because he wants to feel the pain and see the blood to remember that only a little bit of blood and guts 
stands between him and being the first AEW champion. And he has more blood and guts than Chris Jericho. He rips out these uh, stitches over his eye during this. We see some blood trickle into a uh, a sink. I mean, you know, not at the same time as he pulls the thing out. But it's a nice little effect. He says he could tell that uh, Jericho was telling the truth when he said he was afraid of losing to Hangman. And he just wants to make sure that when he looks in the mirror on September 1, he sees a champion. This was good. Yeah, this is the first time he's felt like the top level performer in this new company was this promo. And and the presentation with the dripping blood and everything was all pretty cool. Yeah, this was great. All right, we see Sean Spears hitting Cody with the chair, and it's time for the Jim Ross-Sean Spears interview. Uh, JR, get some wind up here, but JR asks why he hit Cody. And Spears says he has only five people in his inner circle, and Cody was one of them. But he says there are things you just don't say to other people. You don't call a woman the C word. I thought that was very funny. (laughs) And he said it's also true in wrestling. Uh, Cody put on a suit and became like the suit who told me uh, the same thing for eight and a half years. He called me a good hand, and that's why I hit him. I thought that this was really good. I think that this is probably the best storyline going into All Out, I would argue. And I think that Spears, between this and then him making a big point of pointing out that he pinned Darby as angry as it makes AB, he's done a lot of stuff to become a, a pretty compelling character. His wrestling... You know, it is what it is. But I thought that that was a really smart kind of promo before it totally came out. He says he taught Cody how to wrestle in OVW. And like him, Cody latched onto other guys as he climbed up the ladder, including Damian Sandow, which they bleeped out Sandow. <laughs> so I'm enjoying this gimmick where they bleep out anyone who signed to another company. Uh, he says and none of those guys have been heard from again. That's kind of funny, too. Uh, he reminds Cody that, uh, he, Spears, was there for the 50th wedding anniversary of Cody's parents. He was at their table for Thanksgiving dinner. And they were like brothers. And so he just had to remind him that he bleeds the same color that Spears does. Uh, and announces, I guess, for the first time, although Tony Khan kind of leaked it, that he wanted to do this at All Out. And then we see Tully Blanchard walk out. Uh, he ends the interview. And I guess what we're learning here is that uh, Tully Blanchard is going to be the manager that's been teased for Sean Spears. I did get a press release from AEW calling him like his executive advisor. So, and they made a big deal about him being like one of the greatest strategists and being like a great mental mind. But I'm okay with Tully being a manager. I think that's kind of surprising. I thought Tully was kind of a really underrated promo back in JCP. So I'm cool with that. Yeah, I think the Tully thing is pretty cool. It also has some continuity going back to dusty and that's really fun to play on all of that he also like he has a good look for an old guy too like he kind of has like a uh you know devious sort of uh flair to his appearance or something like that that makes this interesting um yeah overall it's did a pretty good job of setting up this match and establishing spears as like a genuine threat who has all these motivations for wanting to take down cody um I understand why they did it with JR because that sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, brings Spears up by, you know, putting him across the table from a legend like JR. But JR didn't really add anything to this. Like he asked the question and then Spears obviously went into the promo that he was already preparing to do. So that was, uh, you know, a little, a little disconnect there, but pretty good segment all in all. Um, I said that I didn't want to see this as a big match at all out. 
it seems like this is going to be a big match at all out. But the you know uh, Sean Spears probably a more interesting wrestler than Nick Aldis. So if they can exceed that match, and we know the crowd's probably going to be invested because they love Cody, then it should probably be a pretty hot confrontation. Um, but why beat fucking Cody in the main event of this show then? Yeah, it, that makes no sense. And honestly, I don't have a feel, and maybe we'll get a better sense as we get closer to the show, but I don't have a feel for who's going to win the match. I mean, Cody has not been has not been presented as like a top guy in this company. No, so I think Spears has to win the match. Um, that establishes him as like a you know, top level heel, which appears to be what they're going for by having this big program with him at their big show. Uh, and that, that that also kind of does the work of repairing some of the booking they've done to this point, because then you see that, oh, he's better than Cody. That's why he's better than Darby when Cody was not better than Darby. Kobe, 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 Cody <laughs> drew, Kobe's my nephew, uh, Cody drew with uh, Darby. Um, so that that's what makes sense to me. It also establishes the act of him and Tully Blanchard. Uh, and, and we that gives some new life to that sort of pairing and, and makes more sense for both of them going forward. It also then allows Darby to be his next feud. And you can kind of play into that. I mean, it doesn't make sense. If he loses this, who cares about the Darby, um, Sean Spears feud? Mm-hmm. So if he wins, that's cool. That makes sense. And you almost get the sense that Cody sees his role here as making other people. And so maybe yeah. he doesn't want to be the top guy. But there was also a thing that the Bucks wanted to lose their match at double or nothing. So maybe they're trying to head off some criticism by not having the executives win all the time. Um, so that does compute. And, you know, Cody at this point doesn't feel like a guy who is made or made or broken by wins and losses. Really what having him lose before this big match at the next pay-per-view does more is indicts their wins and losses mattering thing. That's sort of the, I guess the storyline thing is, Oh, you know, they have a personal issue. That's why this match, et cetera. But yeah, that it, it hurts. It hurts the promotions sort of perception more than it hurts Cody as an individual guy. For the record, the only ones of the EVPs to be undefeated so far are the young bucks. Everyone else has taken significant losses. And I mean, Page, I, if you want to count overall elite people, Page as well. So, although when the Bucks lost in AAA, they did make hay of that on BTE and had yeah. them selling the loss in a pretty big way, or not? I mean, not a big way, but they really gave a segment to like, oh, you know, we got beat, shit. So, that's fair. Speaking of Tully Blanchard, uh, per Dave Meltzer, Tessa Blanchard's contract with Impact isn't up for a long time, but his his thought is that WWE is going to probably offer her a lot of money to keep her away from AEW. <laughs> Although, yes, uh, Dave has perhaps mentioned in the past that uh, WWE was offering Tessa a lot of money and it didn't come to fruition. Yeah, got to get Tessa. Tessa's great. So, the, you know, when Tully shows up, that's the obvious question everybody asks. Um, so, yeah, got to get Tessa. All right, some uh, miscellaneous notes here. First, there was a Tony Khan post-show scrum. I just want to kind of quickly go over some of the stuff from that. Uh, he first basically told us that the Jacksonville Fight for the Fallen show is going to be an annual thing, but maybe they'll move it to December so that it's, you know, not quite so hot. Uh, so that makes sense. Uh, he's talking about kind of the big picture stuff. He says they're not they're going to go out of their way to not have an overbearing authority figure. This was basically asked if he was going to, you know, ever bend on this and show up on TV. And he's basically like, 
Uh, no way. I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, so this was the interesting thing, though. He said, if we need to bring somebody out, we've got guys like Billy Gunn, Dean Malenko, and Jerry Lynn who can come out. But then he said, they are on the act- the championship committee. It's a real thing. And those guys are on it. Yeah, so that was one of the things I meant to shout out as something to like on this show is I think Excalibur mentioned the championship committee in one of the early matches. And I was like, oh, they did just enough there to give you some plausible deniability about the executive booking all these matches. Still have a lot to work with like cleaning that up because we know that like they've made very clear that these guys are booking the matches and shit. So now we have the idea of the championship committee established. Do a little more work to give that some credibility. And I'm happy. I just didn't realize it was real. I just thought it was a case. Well, it's not real. It's not real. It's real. It's, oh. it's legitimate. It's just like how Milano Collection AT is part of the IWGP the championship committee. No, it's, it's not, it's not real, Aaron. Real, folks. No. Yes, it's, it's real. Work. It's a work. Tony Khan said they are booking by committee and yeah. that these three guys are three of the people involved in the booking decisions. Oh, okay. Well, that's not – that's a different thing maybe. And this was not in a kayfabe interview. I mean, he could be kayfabing it, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, this was – you know, he said shit in this thing like it was good on the show to see uh, Chris Jericho get some heat and then Paige get his comeback on – you know. It's just like he's – I thought it was legit. I mean, maybe okay. I'm. Maybe yeah, I'm, I mean, if, if he meant, if you said championship, but meant booking, I believe they might be on the booking team. But the the concept of a championship committee is a kayfabe concept. Sure. That's just what he called it. So, okay. Very fascinating. But they I didn't, am, Excalibur didn't mention it on the show as well. Yes. I'm just disappointed that my proposed committee of Golden Boy, Jack Whitehall, Bret Hart, I had a couple other people in that tweet are not the actual committee. It's actual people inside the company. I thought it'd just be funny if it was like, Jack Whitehall, since he's the one with the title belt, he's the one who gets to say, okay, these people have title matches. I'm sorry. Got, got to have Jack back. Tony basically uh, confirmed, you know, the quarterly pay-per-views we talked about, but there's still going to be smaller shows between those, like the ones, uh, the last two ones. And he wouldn't say that they were definitely going to be monthly, but he said, quote, I want to give people the number of shows they want to see. So I think that's interesting. We'll kind of see if they're, you know, flooding the market. They're already going to be doing two-hour TV every week. Uh this was one of the more fascinating things from this scrum. He talked about how his initial goal with the company was just to pick up where WCW left off. God bless. God bless. And he said, but hey, look, we did 100,000 buys or more on Double or Nothing. And he's clearly done his homework here. He said WCW uh, didn't do 100,000 buys in the last eight months they were in business after Hulk Hogan left. And no WCW live event in that time did uh, 10,000 attendance. So he's saying, you know, they're already ahead of where they wanted to be based on that. Although, I mean, that company was dying. So I'm not sure <laughs> that that's the best thing to, uh, to aspire to. He was asked why all the multi-mans. And he said, well, basically, you know, you can build more stories out of them and they need that going into TV. He specifically talked about who did Joey Janela put through the, or do the move to the apron on uh, in the six man here. Sammy? I think it was yes. me. Yeah, and he specifically talked about, like, we can have – this is a personal issue that we can use to have a TV match. Instead of a cold TV match, we've got this something that we built in some multi-man. So I like that. Yeah, I do. That has been the thing to like about all the multi-man matches is you just get a lot of character interplay like that. I, You know, cold TV matches should also exist if it's a real sport, for the record. That's fair. Like you should just have guys wrestling to see which one's better and who should be, you know, in championship contention. 
Yeah, that's fair. But it's but, good that they. But it's interesting. It takes all you know parts. Yeah, he said they're going to be at the Television Critics Award Show on July twenty fourth, something like that. Yeah. And the the only thing I cared about this was he said they hope to have some stuff announced by then. So we might hear some more stuff about the TV before then. Yeah, that's a, a pretty big industry show. It's not on like the level of like Emmys or something like this, but it's a big thing for when presenting stuff to the fall for the fall TV audiences. This is a pretty big one for it. So them being there and having stuff in line is pretty, pretty encouraging, but it's also something that they kind of have to announce something. So if you announce it there, you give yourself prestige in the lead up, I guess. Speaking of the TV, <laughs> this was widely reported, but he said that this show, Fight for the Fallen, was more reminiscent of what you'll see on TNT, which was frightening in a lot of ways. Well, TV's not going to be four hours. Very good point. He also said, I thought this was interesting. He said, we we showed with this show tonight that we can use similar staging for television. And so it just made me wonder if they're thinking about doing outside shows for TV. I don't know how I feel about like regular outside TV. Like there was like the the fun, like, WCW spring breakout shows where they had yeah, nitro down. They have a more consistent look for your TV, I think. But mm -hmm. we'll see no how way. Uh, inconsistent, varied, <laughs> fresh, exciting, new. Okay, geez. It's better if it looks different. Okay. But it also, geez. that's how you get huge budget overages very quickly is, oh, we're going to have a different set for TV. No, not a different set, just differently. Like it was, the way they did this one was they had, they used one tunnel, they put the chandelier at a different place, they had the you know, screen and shit in a different place, like mix it up. Just, you know, adapt to the building you're in rather than having your Monday Night Raw set that you drop down onto every arena across the country. Okay, that's fair. And maybe it's going to be at this award show, but he said the TV night and the dates, uh, the announcement that on that's going to come before All Out. Uh, but it's either going to be Tuesday or Wednesday for sure. Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, we pretty much already know the date. Uh, and as we've already known, the tag team tournament is going to be one of the focuses early on. And they have a really big debut show planned. So I'll be fascinated to see who they pull out for that. Just a couple of funny things that made me laugh from this. Uh, so a literal child asked him how hard it is to do wrestling, football, and soccer and, and at the same time. And Khan looked at this kid and compared it to being on a sitcom where you're on several dates at a time. I'm like, that rules. I'm like, this like nine-year-old child has no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's some peak Dave Meltzer equivalencies right there. It was very funny. He asked the the media that was standing there, so who all seen the wrestling episode of South Park? And like every fucking person is like, I have, I have. <laughs> wow, that's a really selected uh, group there. And he was asked about the XFL and just straight up cut off the questioner and said he he was not going to comment on the XFL, which I thought was funny. It's uh, I I really love these uh, press scrums. I know they're probably going only to be over like big shows when they get going, but Tony's just like a very interesting person. Like the between like the this whole entire show being based off that one episode of South Park just completely blows my mind. It's insane. Yes, very funny. South uh, Park bad. Dave reported this week, and you know, I just kind of assume he's getting this from them that doing about 3K, uh, 3,000 a week for TV is the expectation. We've talked a little bit about that. So that's what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's good to know that their expectations line up with what is realistic, I think. Because, you know, yeah. when they were, people were like, oh, are they going to be in NBA arenas every night trying to do Monday Night Raw numbers? It's like, thank God they're not looking to do that because 
gotta, you know, that's a long, long road to hoe. Uh, I guess you will have probably already heard, or this will have already happened by the time you hear this episode, but Cody and MJF are debuting in AAA Thursday night, July 18th against Taurus and Daga. Yeah, this was the thing that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that this match originally had Brian Cage in it, but Impact vetoed it. The show is starting about 30 minutes after we're done recording, so if somehow this thing goes up like at 11 o'clock tonight, they probably have not been out to the ring yet. It's from Aguas Calientes. It's the last show that AAA does before their, uh, before Triple Mania on August 3rd, so this is going to be interesting it's the first time i believe mjf's been in mexico and this is the first time that cody has been in mexico with a traditional lucha libre company so it's gonna be interesting i mean daga is a guy who's done some dragon gate stuff he's been around the block a while and tarus of course was the guy who attacked cody earlier this year when cody was at that show where the bucks won the titles at so it's gonna be interesting to see how things go with this show if i was going to guess when this match would go on this show might be up before the match goes on so yeah it already happened the match already happened. Well, if you start if you start listening to the show right when it gets up, two yeah, hours are going to pass before you get to this point. <laughs> that is fair, but it, if you're looking to watch this uh, after the fact, they have a Twitch channel where you can subscribe to, or if you can wait a month, it will be on their YouTube channel. So it'll be available for other audiences. People started noticing, I think this week and last week maybe that Kylie Ray has just disappeared off the face of the earth. She used to be a pretty frequent social media poster and as of june 17th she has posted nothing and hasn't even liked any tweets on twitter when she did that a lot before and obviously she was pulled off of fighter fest even though it seemed like she was going to be in the opening match she wasn't on this show uh just today dave reported in the observer that the situation has been kept quiet but it is a medical issue and she is expected back soon lots of whispers around but no uh no concrete info about what's going on with kylie ray but i whatever's going on obviously wish her the best she's uh, very good and very fun and i uh, just i hope she's doing all right last point here last thing to talk about fox is in talks about getting nxt on a television and dave you know basically kind of just thinks that while this hasn't been said he could see NXT going on Fox Sports 1 and going head-to-head with AEW's television. And that would be uh, extremely petty and also exactly what I would expect and uh, could be fun. So, I don't know what Fox Sports 1 usually has on Wednesday nights. I think it's not very much, so I expect this to happen. And, you know, it's with the amount of money that Fox is paying WWE, they're going to want to be able to do certain things. And, I mean, there's there was talk about this even before the TNT thing about NXT going on television. Like they're going to have a crazy amount of TV there, and it's. I mean, this is the world we live in. I mean, it's it might not be an out and out war, but as we saw this weekend, and as we're going to see going forward, it's going to be hotly contested. Just be funny if NXT still pre-tapes everything. If AEW starts giving away results, because that would amuse me. Yes, that was like my favorite part of Monday Night Wars. Very funny. Okay, we are going to skip uh, Mike's OWE uh, preview of of what's going on in Canada and Germany. But don't worry, because none of the matches, none of the shows are going to happen before next episode. So we'll definitely fit it in next week. Yeah, I will. There are tickets on sale for the show in Toronto. I'll have a link in the show description, but there'll be more matches announced and we'll talk about it. There's some really cool stuff coming out of them, both in Germany 
and then Canada. Yeah, but we've been going about two hours, so yep. good time to cut this one off. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show, rate and review, all that good stuff. Follow us on Twitter, at everything AEW. Keep up with what's going on with AEW in between episodes. Uh, you can follow our individual accounts. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, that's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. And uh, that's that's all we have for this week. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron, and we'll see you next week. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.